Okay, welcome back. Um, I'm back um, on the slam. Last week, Steve Carroll uh, deputised as host on the podcast. I thought he did a great job. Um, I didn't actually finish listening to it, which I feel a bit ashamed of. Um, but I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was brilliant. I, it was the it was the Deshambo discussion that I was that I I remember being cut off from for some reason. Um, but now I'm back. Um, I, I sort of wish I was still on holiday because I had such a good time um, in Ben Almedida in Spain. Um, it was a cracking place. Um, I hope I hope, and I'm glad to see the company sort of float in my in my absence. I was concerned that it might um, that it might go south, but no, it seems everyone's still everyone's still um, everyone's still sane. Sane's a bit of a push, I think. But <laughs> um, we're still we're still here. I'm sure the weather was better in Spain than it is currently. Sunny England, um, but yeah, no. Me and Steve had uh, some good fun last week. Um, it was, a, I think, it was a much more professional outfit last week. We've we when we yeah. two get together, it's just a simple chat. It's much more professional when Steve's here. Um, but oh yeah, it was good. And uh, yeah, Bride the Bryson talk, of course, as to whether he was going to be part of the Ryder Cup team or or whatnot. Um, and of course, those conversations continue this week. There's more people involved and. You know, I think maybe this could be the week we select our 12. Yeah, well, I think every week it seems like Zach Johnson is given a fresh headache. Um, did you get up to, did you, did you play golf for the weekend? Did you do much the weekend? Yeah, I played I played Sunday morning. Yeah, played nice, rather rather badly, but it was better than sitting at home, so I can't complain. Yeah, was it, was it all right? Was, it, was, that, was that Howley Hall, was it? Uh, no, actually, I played over in York with a, a couple of lads I used to uh, used to work with, um, who live live York way. So I played over there at a place called Pike Hills. Nice, nice little track, but one of those where I never seem to play well. I don't know what it is, whether there's a mental block or mm. whatever. It's one of those I never seem to play well. I see. Well, we played together for the first time on Friday, didn't we? That didn't go. We um, did, yeah. That didn't go according to plan. We sort of embarrassed ourselves in front of Hannah. Although. Uh, to be fair, Hannah didn't exactly cover herself in glory, but you know she's off plus three and she shot five over. I think so. I think technically she was she was equally as bad as us two. Hmm. I mean, I finished birdie birdie, so I can't complain. You did. I, you know, the rest the rest of it was trash, you did. utter trash. But I finished birdie birdie, and that's what matters. I should have finished birdie birdie because is that you know that the, the you know that par four I drove was that the was that the seventeenth? No, that was sixteen. What was oh okay then, yeah, I remember seventeen the, now yeah sixteen I managed Marshall to actually post. land yeah. it on the green at Scarcroft but three putted for a par and then on the last on the last hole no last hole we both had quite short eagle putts didn't we and we both yeah, all three of us did yeah pretty pretty shockingly missed them all I think in the dark almost it was dark I don't really know why we played so slowly like Tom was giving us a bit of stick afterwards um, for playing for playing a bit slowly but we did we did it in like four hours but I don't really I mean we did play badly but like. I, I don't know. Say, just... I think it's because I played rather badly. Yeah, there was some looking for golf balls. Yeah, quite I don't a know. lot. And to be fair, I thought it was going to be lighter at that stage. Maybe we are getting towards the um, towards September. So maybe yeah. it wasn't going to be as light as we thought it would. Mm, uh, well, I mean, there was talk of us playing again tonight, but not in this weather. Yeah, we did play at like five o'clock. To be fair, so yeah, we we'll have to reassess re- reassess um, for next time. Um, yeah. But anyway, let's let's talk about some actual golf where people can actually hit proper golf shots. Because <laughs> um, at the weekend we saw Lilia Vu um, become just the ninth American to win the ARG Women's Open, and she did it in fine style. She entered twenty twenty three without any wins, and then she won the Honda um, LPJ in Thailand, and then she won the Chevron Championship, which is her first major victory. Um, back in uh, back in April, and now she's a double major champion. She certainly did it in much easier style than the Chevron this time, um, and it was sort of set up to be a really good final round. You had Lilia Vu, obviously looking to uh, really assert dominance on the women's game um, in the second rounds. You had Charlie Hull looking for a for a first major in front of the home crowd at Walton Heath. You had Angel Yin who came who lost in the playoff to Vu. The Chevron Championship. She was looking for a bit of redemption. You had Lynn Grant, who was only three behind at the start of the final round, who is obviously a star of European golf. And you had G.A. Shin, who was looking for a hat trick of women's open titles. And it was so it's all set forget, up for, for a fantastic. Ali Ewing as well. 
But of Don't course, get Ali Ewing as well after that incredible second round she fired in and she was, you know, five clear. Um, the, you know, comparisons between her and Brian Harmon as well at one point. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, we, but yeah, so it was a it was a stacked leaderboard going into the final day. Well, in the end, of course, in the end, it was um, it was Lydia Vu who who performed like Brian Harmon did at Hoylake. Um, but very much a performance in her own right. It, I suppose I've seen, I've, I've read a lot about. Well, I watched it all and read a lot of read a lot of reports and things about how people judge the final round. And technically, I suppose it was a two horse race, but it wasn't really, was it? It was very much. It was barely a race. It was just one horse dominating, really. Yeah, I mean, if you look, like we say at the start of the day, there was was it maybe six or seven within three shots, three or four shots of the lead, and really you could have picked any of them. To, to go on uh, and win. But it was that first, I think it was first five or six holes, that stretch where Vu had a couple of birdies and Charlie Hull had a couple of bogeys. And that really set set the field apart slightly and Vu had that gap. And from there on in, it was almost plain sailing for the American. Well, it, well, it was really. Um, so they were tied on nine under at the start of the final round. Um, and then Vu carded a 67, which only contained one bogey. Um, sort of around the turn, she really stamped authority on the tournament, I feel. Like she had she had those two bodie, uh, birdies even on holes nine and ten. And that gave her a five-shot lead, I think, with only eight holes remaining. Um, Charlie Hull was, you could tell she was doing her best. I love, we were talking about, um, watching Charlie Hull play golf together on Friday, weren't we? And she's such an exciting yeah. player. Like she's got such a whippy swing, really, you know, whips through the ball, recoils, and she's just such an intense, entertaining player. Unfortunately, the one over, the one over um, seventy three didn't do it. Um, but at one stage, it looked like she might have um, been on her way to cutting the deficit when she held that amazing bunker shot on the eleventh hole. I mean, when the camera panned to her. And the ball was sort of not on, not below the lip, but it was very close. Um, not the best of lies. Um, you're sort of thinking, God, like she's this is not going away today. She's not going to catch Vu, especially in these sort of positions. But an amazing um, shot that just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And a few seconds before, you just knew it was going to go in, and it drops. And as Lydia Vu said afterwards, um, she loved the crowds at Walton Heath, and that really got the crowd going. And they turned out in their in, in their thousands to watch to watch the um, the golf all week. And Hull really gave them uh, something to scream about there. But she was kept at arm's length really throughout the final round, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we mentioned the crowds. I thought the crowds were, but obviously I was there um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. and, and even on Thursday the crowds were. Crowds were, you know, brilliant, um, cheering. And they cheered everyone as well. It's not like, you know, they weren't partisan, you know, they were they they, they cheered good golf, which is, you know, what you, you tend to expect really from a from a British crowd, especially at, you know, the open or, or the women's open. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, the crowd was right behind Charlie all day. All the you know, the kids had little signs and everything, and she even mentioned that I think, um, in her interview with Henny on um on Sky Sports, you know, she mentioned how the kid, having all the kids there and hoping she could inspire in a generation and so on. And obviously living half an hour from the course, you know, it was her home, her home event, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it wasn't to be because, uh, like say, Lily Vu was, was just too good on the final day. Um, you know, she proved that at the Chevron, you know, three, four months earlier. And uh, I think the most incredible stat for me was that it's, I think she became the first American to win two majors in a year since 2000. Yeah, since Julie in Inkster, the women's game, I believe. I mean, when you think of the talent that there's been, you know, <laughs> Lexi Thompson, you know, Paula Creamer and so on. How 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 has an American not won two majors in a year? It's it's quite incredible that statistic for me. Yeah, that is one uh, it reminded me of when um John Rahm when he won the Masters, he was told that you're the first European to win the Masters and the US Open and he was like he was like, "Am I?" And he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "God, yeah, I am." Yeah, it, it, it reminded me of that. It's like one of those stats where you think, "Well, that can't be true," but yeah. it's it's been widely reported. Um, it's, I briefly forgot that you were uh, you were te- you you were working at the at Walton Heath this, it, it, early in the week. So, how, how how was the the 
couple of days that, that you were there. Uh, was it was it enjoyable? How how was it? Yeah, it was great. Um, obviously, you know, Walton Heath a much different you know setup, different golf course to to what we've seen at the the Women's Open and the 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 Men's Open as well. You know, over the last few years, I think it's the first time really that the Women's Open has been held on like a, a Heathland style um, golf course. But all the players seem to to really um, enjoy it, and you know, I think I think being so close to London probably helped as well with with the crowds. Um, you know, um, yeah. it was big crowds all week. Um, Martin Slumbers, CEO of the um, RNA, you know, said he was expecting about fifty thousand there across the week, which was record numbers. And there was great activations. Um, in the there was a little festival area which had, um. Uh, a mini golf fit area and of course Steve went and, and saw the, the opening of that in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago and you can read that about that on our website um, but yeah so there was that and there was you know the bars drinks and little kids areas and you know and so on and it was just I think it was good for the entire family you know yeah. the way it was set up um, and of course Walton Heath has two golf courses so there was a lot of space as well um, which may have made it look like the crowds were a bit smaller on TV because obviously there was a lot of space in between holes and, and so on because the two courses intertwine. Um, but yeah, it was a great, a great event and great to be a part of for that for those first few days. Um, but I think the moment for me was um, the Jin Young Ko saying that she loved sausage rolls. Yeah, that was um, a bit of a mad I think thing. That was the best. That was the best moment <laughs> for me. I think that was a bit of a mad thing, um, and, the, and a lot of a lot was made of. Um, Different features of the course, such as the heather, um, that was on the sides of the, of the fairways. Um, Nellie Cord had sort of joked that she nearly broke her wrist in it. Um, and Celine Boutier, I believe, was yeah. Celine Boutier who sort of commented on the toughness of that part of the course. Yeah, a lot, but yeah, a, a lot of people. That, but again, as I mentioned, it, you know, it was a different test. It wasn't the sort of fast, firm links golf that. Um, is what you see sort of, you know, is akin to the, to the open championship and to, to the AIG women's open. But I think it presented a real, a really good test. Um, you know, I think you look at the top 10 in the leaderboard, I think 10th was only three under par, which shows it wasn't an mm. easy golf mm. course to, to play on. And I know it was a, a bit of a mix of the two courses. It was 16 holes of the old course and, and two of the new course. Cool, yeah. Um, one of the little quirks of it I, I found was that, so, it was they basically they started on the second hole of the old course, so that was the first actual hole of the championship. They then didn't play the third, so they actually then had to they got buggies from the second green to the fourth tee of the old course. Mm. Um, and I was so I was walking down sort of the side of the, the the third hole of the old course, which wasn't used, and I was thinking, do you know what? This would be a great little risk reward hole because it's only I think it was only about two hundred and eighty yards. Yeah. You know, short par four. Like you think that could be one that early in a round, do you go for the green or not? Um, I mean, obviously we would as amateur golfers, because why not? You know, yeah. <laughs> where's the fun in not? Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was a little quirk of the course as well. And like I said, there was a lot of space, so it was good for you know kids could be running around and and so on. And and but yeah, it was a great environment to to be in and a great setting. And of course, the weather was was brilliant all week unlike it was in Liverpool for us a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. No, certainly, yeah. Um, but it was great to see Vu finish off with a birdie as well, I thought. Um, and she became, she became emotional when she was speaking afterwards. Um, I feel like every winner, every winner always has a story. Um, and she she sort of looked back, afterwards when she spoke as well, she looked back to her days on the Symmetra tour and she alluded to her granddad dying um, in covid and she often uses that as inspiration. Um, so I, th- I feel like that's that's what I, I, I. No matter who wins a golf tournament, you always do have like a little story like that, and it gives you a little insight into what these pros actually use as, as motivation. Obviously, they've got they've got they've got like bundles of talent, but um, she used that as motivation. Um, thinking of her grandfather um, each day, she says, um, and quite incredibly, she um, missed the cut at the PGA Championship and the Women's US Open as well. Um, obviously won the Chevron and she's won, she won the, despite missing two cuts, she won these um, Rolex Annika Major Awards, um, which was established in 2014, um, despite <laughs> despite missing two cuts. Um, 
but yeah, she enjoyed playing with Charlie Hull. She said afterwards, she when um, Hull hold that bunker shot on the eleventh for an eagle. There's a, a tad of a touch of pressure um, added to the situation, but she dealt with it. Um, and she said she enjoyed playing with Charlie Hull, who who was full of confidence afterwards. To be fair, um, she said, "I really feel like next year will be my time for me, just because I'm going to really focus on working on that over the winter. I feel like I want to start tomorrow with my coach." So she's finished second twice. Uh, no, in, second twice in majors now. She came she came second um, at Pebble Beach, and then obviously um, yesterday too. That's her fourth runner-up finish this year, I believe. So she is very, very close. Um, and as I say, it is just always just a pleasure to watch Charlie Hull. She's so exciting when the, when she hits shots and she recoils like she does. You just don't know. You don't know where the ball is going in the water, whether it's going in the hole whether it's going in the bunker, you, you, uh, her reactions are, are a picture every time, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, like, you, you know, she just says, I think she said uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, just hit the ball as hard as I can. Mm. And that, that is, you know, is <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, we all try and do that, you know, when we're on the driving range or whatever. But she manages to do it and manages to do it so consistently as well. Um you know, two runner-up finishes in the majors. Like you say, four runners-up, four runner-up finishes this year because she had one at um, it was Centurion as well, wasn't it in the in the Ranco series? So two close to home events as well in London mm-hmm. where she's played very well. Um, she may not have got over the line, but I think she'll look back at this season and this major season as a very good positive to take with her. I think certainly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and. With each week, we always talk about the Ryder Cup, um, but each week also has big ramifications for the Solheim Cup too. Um, with the you know the cutoff, the qualifying period is becoming very very close now, and Suzanne Petson will will be making um, four four captains picks um, very very soon. And according to so the Team Europe the Team Europe um, standings for twenty twenty three. Um, they haven't been updated just yet, actually. They 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 were updated last week. Um, so it would be comprised, obviously, of 12 NET members. And for those who aren't aware, how you qualify for the Solheim Cup team is, is the top two players from the LET Solheim Cups po- Cup points ranking at the end of the qualifying period based on LET Solheim Cup points accumulated from all the ranking events. Um, and then that's point one. So point two is the top six players from the Roblox Women's World Rankings at the end of the qualifying period who are not already qualified above uh, um, under the point that I just said. And then there's four players selected um, as the team uh, as uh, by the team captain. So at the minute, the team, if if it was decided now, the team would be Maya Stark, Celine Boutier, Leona Maguire, Georgia Hall, Charlie Hull, Ling Grant, Carlotta Saganda, and Anna Norquist. Um, and interestingly, Anna Norquist is obviously a vice captain as well. So we'll have to see how that one how that one plays out. Um, but yeah, so then Petson will have four four picks after that. Um, and then if we take a look at the American standings, so this will be decided obviously by twelve players from the LPGA. Um, and, the, and that's the top seven players on the US Sohan Cup points list um, in the qualifying period. Then the top two players in the world rankings who have not really qualified by the top uh, eligibility point, I just said. And then three players. So Stacey Lewis will have three players um, to choose with her captain's picks. So the current the current top seven are Lilia Vu, obviously, Nelly Corder, Alison Corpus, the US Women's Open champion, Megan Kang, Jennifer Kupcho, Danielle Kang and Lexi Thompson. Um, so all, all of that is obviously subject to change um, when they're updated, um, but it certainly it certainly is making for an exciting tournament in Finkerkortesen, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I mean without doubt. I mean, and then you think you know a name you haven't mentioned there, who almost undoubtedly has to be selected by Lewis is Rojang. Well, of course, well, um, yeah, very interesting. You know, you know, and then you've got the likes of you know. Caroline Inglis, Lizette Salas, Rian O'Toole, Jessica Corder, Angel Yin, um, Ali Ewing, who we alluded to earlier, you know, they're all not in that top seven um, on the points list. So it's going to be tough for for the American captain to to pick who she wants to take with her. Yeah, 
um, as I say, it's not long. It's not long until um, the cut-off period at the end of the month. Um, and of course, the Soham Cup being played um, at Finca Cortes in um, in Andalusia in Spain. That is being played in the week of uh, the week of the twenty second to twenty fourth of September, and then also the week after is a Ryder Cup. So it's a big it's a big year um, for, for for both obviously European golf and American golf in in these in the biggest team formats because the Soham Cup could very much set a set a tone, set a mood. Um, they're both in Europe, so it would be if it may, it, imagine if America come over to the Soham Cup and the Ryder Cup and win on the way soil. You know, it, it is a big time for Suzanne Pettersson and Luke Donald to get their picks right, to get their sort of team dynamics correct, to get the pairings right, because this is a good chance for European golf to really lay down a marker, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, you just mentioned, imagine if Team, Amer- Team America come over. Team America, like the <laughs> Team USA. <laughs> Team USA come over to Europe and win both. Uh, that would be gut wrenching, I think, for us European fans. Um, as much as we love watching good golf, oh, we hate watching the Americans beat Europe, Team Europe, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was, we really do. I was talking about this. We talked about this at the <coughs> Open, weren't we? I think with uh, our colleagues Dan and Steve. Um, basically, I think for a lot of us, uh, football is the number one sport, and we all want our teams desperately to win. And is that tribalism there? And and to me. I have that with Europe as well. Like, obviously, as a golf fan, you do. But some people, I don't think, would be gutted or devastated with Europe losing. But when I hate thinking of Ryder Cups where Europe have lost and Soham Cups where Europe have lost, it it really sort of it really bugs me. And when I don't know when European players hit bad shots, it really sort of gets under my skin. Like I'm, I'm I'm just always I'm just really really. Like I, I, I sort of say if Arsenal lost the cup final, I'll just sort of delete that from my mind. Like they lost the cup final to Birmingham, they lose a cup final to City in like 2018 or 19. I just sort of delete them from my mind because I don't want to think about them. I don't remember them. I have that with, with with Ryder Cups too, with like 2008 and 2016. I just I just try and not to, I just try to erase them from my memory because it just sort of winds me up so much. That and the, so yeah, and you're not even mentioning the absolute battering in twenty. Well, exactly. Yeah, I see what I see what you've done there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I do know what you mean. But then you know, you just all you have to do is think of Medina twenty twelve, and everything's happy and rosy again. So um, yeah, no, I do I do completely understand where you're coming from, and you know, you you, <laughs> you see people who are like oh, if their team loses on a Saturday afternoon, it ruins their weekend yeah. or whatever. If you lose the Ryder Cup, it ruins the next two years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> Because you know you've got to wait two years for the opportunity to beat them again, you know, and uh, obviously Team Europe don't have the a secondary, you know, I say secondary, you know, it's probably the wrong word, but a second team event like Team USA do, because obviously they play the Presidents Cup in the alternate years to the Ryder Cup where they play Team uh, Rest of the World, and uh, yeah, so obviously we don't have that as Team Europe, so the Ryder Cup is the one team event, and the same with the Solheim Cup, you know, it's the one team event where it's it all comes down to that, you know, it culminates in that every couple of years. Mm. And uh, I think it's great, obviously, you know, because the, the Ryder Cup was, um, it was postponed from 2020 to 2021. So it means that the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup are now in the same year. And I think having them in back-to-back weeks is actually very good for the game of golf. Fantastic. Really it, it's it's a month, well, an end to September that, that every golf fan can't wait for. Um, it's worth noting with the ARG Women's Open as well, um, just as we sign off from this discussion and move on to the next one, um, next year it will be held at St Andrews, the 48th um, edition of the Women's Open, which I know we can't wait for. I'm sure we'll be there in some capacity. Um, that's previously hosted the Women's Open in 2007 and 2013. So it'll be a, an 11-year wait for the old course to um, get back the Women's Open. And then in 2025, it will be it will be uh, Porth, Royal Porth Court in Wales, which obviously... We've spoken about before um, as it hosted the Senior Open, and um, very exciting times for the for the for the Women's Open. Um, and it's certainly worth noting that Charlotte Heath won the Smith Salver um, as the as the low amateur, um, and this is certainly no award to be sniffed at when you look at the names that have won it. So Rose Zhang won it last year, 
than Louise Duncan in 2021. There was no winner in 2020. Um, but Atea Thitico won it back-to-back years before that. Leona Maguire in 2016. Georgia Hall and Lydia Ko shared it in 2013. Lydia Ko, Daniel Kang, Anna Norquist. You know, you can just keep going on. on. Michelle Wee um, in 2005. So hopefully big things for Charlotte Heath as well, who was a low amateur um, at Walton Heath. Um, so yeah, so we've mentioned the Solheim Cup there and the Ryder Cup. Even more ramifications for both um, this weekend, as we saw on the PGA Tour. Well, do you think do you think it'll have ramifications for the Ryder Cup? Is Lucas Glover going to get a pick? I mean, it's just someone new every week, isn't it? Someone new <laughs> it every actually week. is. I get I get asked this question. Last week it was, will Bryson be there? The week before it was, you know, will JT be there? Yeah. Because of his struggles and so on. Will Lucas Glover be there? Um, honestly, I don't think he will. Mm. Um, I mean, what he's done over the last two weeks is, you know, nothing short of incredible. Um, you know, he had to win or I think he had to come, you know, top two or three at the Wyndham just to make it into the playoffs. He won. But then, of course, you know, I think he was inside the bubble of the top 50 anyway, thanks to the win at the Wyndham. So I think he was pretty much safe, you know, barring absolute miracles from those yeah. lower down to make it into the BMW. But to then go and win again this week um, in the heat and humidity, bear in mind he doesn't wear a glove, so he's got to keep both hands dry. <laughs> um, you know, um, it was so hot at TPC South when you could see that. Um, you could see all the players were, were sweating. Towels were being used, you know, almost before every shot. Um, and of course, he had a couple of little boo-boos on the way on that back nine, you know, to really put himself back into into the pack. But to come through and, you know, maybe gifted a little bit in the playoff with Cantlay's um, tee shot. But he did what he needed to do. Back-to-back wins. You know, arguably two of his biggest wins, barring, you know, the 2009 US Open. Um, and he's now fourth in the FedEx Cup standings. It's, um, it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, you say it was hot. He was dipping his hands in cold water, wasn't he, throughout the final rounds. And you can tell, you can tell how hot it was, probably by the change of colour in his trousers as well, couldn't you? Yeah, I didn't want to mention that. I, thought <laughs> I, was, trying to skirt, I was trying to skirt around that fact. Um but yeah, I mean, it was an unfortunate choice of sort of light brown, sort of like creamy brown trousers, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that were just getting darker by the shot, by the minute, because of just... But obviously, I mean, the heat and humidity where you could see T-shirts. I think Rory's sort of light pink T-shirt was sort of becoming a bit darker in the middle where it was stuck to him. And, you know, it was just one of those one of those hot days that you do sometimes get on the golf course. I mean, we don't obviously get them in the, in England. Um but you do get them, and um, he did brilliantly. I thought to, you know, to battle everything, um, especially coming off the back of a win last week as well. Yeah, um, I looked. I saw on Twitter someone asked the uh, stats king, that is Justin Ray on Twitter, um, about the last example they can find of someone who would get in the Ryder Cup team but didn't play in a major in that year because Lucas Glover did not played in a major this year, and he said the last example I can find. This is Justin Ray. The last example I can find of a player who did not play in a major that year, but did play in the Ryder Cup, was Jose Maria Canizares in 1989. Um, so, incredible work by Justin Ray, uh, as ever. Um, but yeah, Lucas Glover at 43 years old. He won the John Deere in 2021. Um, but, but before that, he hadn't won in 10 years. Um, recently, he'd had a, he'd had a sort of a, a tough bout of the yips for 10 years. He said in his own words, he said, he, I, I had no control over my faculties. Um, and even as recently as US Open qualifying, he missed a short putt um, to not get into US, the US Open. Um, even as, as a previous winner. As a as previous well. winner, which is pretty yeah. incredible. He won it in 2009. Um, he switched to the long putter in, 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 in 2009, in June. Um, and God, he holds incredible putts in the final rounds. Um, just clutch after clutch, a 20-foot par putt on 13, a 30-foot bogey putt on 14, and an 11-foot par putt on 17. He led the field in scrambling, which is no shock. Um, and he was just he was just 
keeping up with the best players in the world, like Cantley, McElroy, um, Fleetwoods, who is probably one of the highest performing players in the world at the minute. And you're just keeping them at bay. And then obviously beating Cantley in the playoff, maybe slightly gifted that because Cantley found the water on the last hole at TPC Southwinds. But incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, and afterwards, afterwards he said, if you would have told me three months ago, I'll tell you that you're crazy that, that if he'd won back-to-back at the FedEx Cup. But at the same time, if you ask me legitimately, did I think I was capable? I'd say yes, even then. It's just one of those sad ways athletes are wired. We always believe in ourselves, no matter how bad this is. I never gave up, but like the middle of May, it was hard to go to the range some days and hard to work. But we pushed through and did it anyway. So even even as recent as May, he was struggling with his game. He was struggling mentally with his game. So to this is an this is an unprecedented. I can't think. I mean, I know we're sort of fairly young young golf fans, so we've not got a, a, such a wide range of memories at older ones. But I can't think of a, a redemption or like a a comeback like this where he's won the Wyndham and he's won and he's burst into the, the, the top seventy of the FedEx Cup. Then he's won again and now he's fourth. He could literally win the FedEx Cup out of nowhere. And if he wins it, well, I mean, if he wins again this week, he has to be in the Ryder Cup team. I mean, he might, I mean, I assume if he wins this week, he might propel himself into an automatic place. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, the the only sort of man I could I could think of that would be somewhat near that would be when Billy Horschel won the BMW yeah. and then the Tour Championship back to back in 2014. Um, but even then, he'd won the Zurich Classic a year before, so it's not like he'd been down in the doldrums, you know, for for so long. And we we know, obviously, Billy's been through his struggles since then. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been—it's an amazing story. It it really is. You know, you could you think he's not played in a major this year. You mentioned that short put he missed in the playoff in U.S. Open qualifying, um, which came just after he'd actually switched, I believe, to the long putter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> words can't really do justice um, for what Lucas Glover has done over the last. So I think you, you've got to say a couple of months since since that and the, the changes he's made. Um, you know, and he does it his own way. Of course, you know he's not the longest hitter. He doesn't wear a glove. He's obviously the big, you know, the big mm. one. You know, name me another tour winner. You know, over the last few years, that doesn't wear a glove. Yeah. It'd be very difficult to actually, you know, think of one. Um, and that could have had an effect yesterday, you know, in the in the hot conditions, um, and so on. And like you say, you know, he made uh, an incredible par on thirteen, having been stood in the in the bunker on the on the left hand side. Then he had the plugged lie where he had to, where the referee came over. Then he dunked one in the water on fourteen. You mentioned the bogey put he made. Um, I mean, it was just it was a man basically not just fighting against the world, but fighting against himself as well at mm. times on that back nine. And he did so incredibly well. Yeah, he, he did his best to sort of throw it away. Um, but And then afterwards, he said he's never played in a Ryder Cup, but um, n- now now he's now he wants to, and he's projected to go to 16th in the rankings. And if you look at the players around him, in that, that, that would be around him once, it, once the rankings are um, updated, you've got sort of Tony Finau, who's a who's played in the last two Ryder Cups. Um, he's missed three cuts in, in, in his last seven starts. He hasn't really impressed at the majors. Um, Russell Henley, he's not going to get chosen, is he, if we're being honest? Um, Daddy McCarthy, he's been okay at the majors, six top tens, lost in the playoff at the Memorial, but he's probably not going to be chosen, is he? Um, Kurt Kitayama won the Memorial, no, not the Memorial, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but that seems like a long time ago now. Like, he's only had four top tens this year. He's sort of around the the selection bubble outside the top twelve. Is he going to be chosen? I'd be I'd be very surprised. And you're looking at Justin Thomas. Um, I mean, we all know. Well, we know our thoughts on Justin Thomas. I, I don't think it is possible to choose him um, purely based off you know the the form he, the poor form he's shown. Um, that would be where our teams differ then. <sighs> oh, really? Mm. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and then you've got other players like Ricky Fowler and Colin Morikawa, who I mean, the top, the top eight, the top nine in the U.S. standings 
just go through them again. The Sheffler Clark, Harmon Kepka, Chauflet Cantley, Homer Young and Spieth. They're all going to be chosen, aren't they? I mean, well, well, six of them are going to qualify automatically. But those nine are obviously going to be at the Ryder Cup, aren't they? And then you've got... I mean, you would imagine yeah. so, yeah. And then you've got Morikawa and Fowler. I don't see a world in which they aren't chosen either, if I'm being honest. Um, and then that leaves one place. And then you've got Keegan Bradley, Sam Burns. Sam Burns obviously won the, the WGC DC, GC match play. Keegan Bradley's had a good season. He is currently 10th in US standings. Um, if you go down the list, yeah, I've named them. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting time. I mean, with Brian Harmon, Wyndham Clark, Brooks Kepka all propelling themselves into the into the reckoning with major wins. Um and then you've got Lucas Glover doing what he's doing now. Zach Johnson could not have imagined any of these variables, could he, at the start of the year? I mean, no. And I've just, as, as I was doing that, I was just sort of looking down the list and writing down what my team would be. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you mentioned Pat, you know Xander fifth, Patrick Cantley sixth. I think that might change because of Cantley's um, runner-up finish this week. But even so... You'd imagine that both of those are going to be in. The the depth that this American team has is just immense, mm. and I think you. I don't think you could probably pick twelve of maybe seventeen or eighteen, and the standard would be almost exactly the same. Yeah, you know, you mentioned you know let's if we ignore the top six, like you said, you've got Homer, Young, Spieth, Bradley. Morikawa, Burns, Fowler, Thomas, McCarthy. Um, you know, Zalatoris, of course, is injured. Otherwise, he'd be in the conversation. You know, Tony Finau. And then you, you even think, you look further down, you've got the likes of Sahith Thagala, you know, Harris English. Um, JT Poston's been in good form recently. You know, Gary Woodland, Matt Kuchar, both, you know, w- winners on tour. It's There's some massive names lower down the list as well. Um so you could you could arguably pick two American Ryder Cup teams, um, and even the second team I think would probably do a good job up against Team Europe this year because Europe are I would argue very much in a sort of rebuilding phase. You know they've lost some of the big names from the top, mm. a la you know, and, and we mentioned I mentioned this with Steve last week. You know. We spoke that Westwood and Poulter probably wouldn't be playing anyway, but you think you've got Westwood, Poulter, Garcia, Stenson, you know, Paul Casey. Leaves a void, doesn't it? It does leave a void. Although they're not going to, they were never going to be in anyway. It does leave a void. Yeah, you need. You've got five spots there from players that have been consistent members of the Ryder Cup team over the last well two decades. In the case of Sergio and Lee Westwood, Mm. Um, so you've got five spots to fill, and obviously. I think it's safe to say that the American depth is much stronger than the European depth. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I think I think that, that that's been inevitable since since um they got battered at Whistling Straits. You know, the the, the depth of it was was never was never so clear. Um, and and we mentioned the players that might miss out. You know, you got Finau, Zalatoris is injured, obviously, but the fact that he's not played a Ryder Cup yet is quite scary because he's he's a, obviously a fantastic player that's long overdue. Um, a major, a major win, really. Um, but with Lucas Glover, he's forty-three now. He's won twice in the last two weeks. He's rocketed to thirtieth in the world, having been one hundred and sixty-sixth um, at the end of June at the Travelers Championship. Um, and to beat Patrick Cantlay in a playoff, it's so, it's just so impressive. Like this is and this is the year where this is the time of year when Cantlay peaks as well because he's won the his last win was BMW, I think. And he's won that twice, I think, and then the Tour Championship he's won. So this, uh, this, yeah. the FedEx Cup playoffs is where Cantley is like a different beast, really. That's where he excels. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, what was it? BMW and Tour Championship he won back to back in twenty one, and then defended at the BMW yeah. last year. Um, yeah, so this is it's his time. It's Cantley's time every year. It's incredible to think that Lucas Glover could be on the Ryder Cup team. He's never played on one. Um, and he's now had more wins in his 40s than he had in his 20s, which is a, an incredible thing to think of. Um, so go on then. Do we want to do our our Ryder Cup teams? Or, or, or are we ready out. for this yet? I'm just trying to work out. 
Yeah, I'm just trying to work out my last two European spots. Okay, well, I mean, there's no need to rush this, because... to be fair. We could do it um, in a couple of weeks' time when, we, when we've got a, a clearer picture because we've still got a few more events on the European tour to come. It's the ISPS Hander World Invitational um, this week at Galgorn Castle and Castle Rock. Um, and it's a mixed event between the yeah. um, DP World Tour and then both the LPGA and LET for um, two different titles, not like the Scandinavian mixed that Lynn Grant, of course, famously won last year. Um, it's two different titles, and I think it's Ewan Ferguson and Maya Stark, I think, are the defending champions mm-hmm. from last year, which was, I think, the first time it was played um, in Northern Ireland. Um and I think, I believe that this is the last event before the European Solheim Cup team. Um, or it's, this is the last event for the cutoff, I believe, for the European Solheim Cup team. Um, and then I think the American team have an extra week from what I can remember being said on the Women's Open coverage at the weekend. Um, yeah. So it's one last chance for the Europeans in the field at Galgorm and Castle Rock in Northern Ireland to you know, stake their claim for a, for a Solheim Cup spot. Yeah, it's a huge week um, in Northern Ireland and we've got Victor Perez playing as well. He will, If he wins, another headache for Luke Donald. Tom McKibben, it'll be come too early for him, I think, if he wins. Bob McIntyre. I mean, Bob McIntyre is currently an automatic qualifier, which in my opinion is pretty incredible considering... <laughs> we've mentioned him before, haven't we, about how we were sort of wanting to kick on and we want him to sort of show a bit more an improvement. I mean, and he did at the, at the Scottish Open, obviously, when he was... Yeah, it was the, the wing, not the wing to win. Was, yeah. The wing was stolen from his hands by Rory McIlroy. Um, so he is third in the European points list. Um, it feels like we just sort of reel off European points and world lists and rankings lists each week here. But it the, the variable the variables change every week. Um, so McIntyre is third in the European points list. It seems like that second place at the um, Scottish Open... Um, has really set him up, and unless he doesn't, unless he drops out from that top three, he will be in Italy, where he has won obviously before. He's won the Italian Open, um, on the course. So yeah, on the very course. Yeah, exactly. Marco Simone. Yeah. So you've also um, got it's it's, a, it's, a, it's not a bad field this week to be fair. North Island, you've got Ewan Ferguson, you've got um, Eddie Pepperell, um, you've got Richard Mansell, Roman Langasque, Marcus Armitage, Matthew Southgate. Um, Matthew Jordan, of course, everyone's fa- everyone's new favourite golfer after the Open at Hoylake. So each week is so, is so important. Um, but yeah, did you catch um, did you catch any of the live golf stuff from the weekend? Yeah, so I saw a few bits um, here and there, um, and you know looking back at, at last year's scores at bedminster as well i was surprised like it was it was tough you know there wasn't many people mm. wasn't many players under par um and i did note that of course i we mentioned um lee westwood earlier um he had what could only be described in a word as an absolute <laughs> stinker um this week um finishing 20 over par from his three rounds um i mean Ouch. the entirety of um, uh, what are they? Team Majestics. Um, Henrik Stenson was their best performer, and he was thirty fourth at five over. Um, so it wasn't a good week for them. Um, but once again, I mean Cameron Smith, different level, different gravy. Um, just the man just seems to keep winning. Becomes the second three time winner on the Live Tour after Taylor Gooch, another man who you know we've spoken about as a, an American Ryder Cup prospect um but yeah what was it seven shot victory you know the, yeah. the biggest in in live golf history and i know we had this me and steve had this conversation last week about you know sort of the biggest blah 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 in live golf history it's only been going a few years um but yeah seven shots you know consistent performance you know five under four under three under across his three rounds um and of course and led team ripper to um their first team's win as well. So, you know, a perfect weekend for the Aussie boys um, at Bedminster. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, of all the things that Live Golf get, get ripped for, um, they, I think, I feel like they have nailed a lot of the venues. Um, it seems like this Bedminster uh, put on a test 
um, last week at the Green Bar, we saw Bryson smash it, smash it round with a sixty-one and a fifty-eight. Um, Valderrama is a famously tough course. Um, you've got recognisable golf courses there on their schedule. So, in terms of the venues, I don't think there's anything you can bash them about, really. Um, it's always fun watching Cam Smith win. Um, I'm going to be honest; I didn't really see much of it at all. But um, a seven-shot win um, is obviously commendable in, in, in any context, really. Um, but I think when a big player like that like that wins, he won it in London at Centurion, obviously. Um, when a big player like that wins, I just think, does it not just remind you of what we could be having on the PGA Tour? Like the, the, the even more, imagine if we've got all this going on the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup playoffs. It, we we could have Cameron Smith doing this on on the PGA Tour. I know it sounds you know it sounds a bit biased, and we all want the PGA Tour to be loaded up with talent. But that the PGA Tour is the only tour or tournaments with any context. Like Cam Smith wins um, at Trump Bedminster. It's, that's the second time Bedminster's been used um, as a as a live golf event. Um, it's his third third win on the, on the live golf tour. So but that's really the only context that that there is um, to that win. Um, it was Ripper GC's first first win on the on the live golf circuit, I believe. Um, obviously, the prize money is extortionate, and the prize money next year on the on the PJ Tour is something that's going to mirror um, Live Golf. Well, the, the signature events are going to mirror more the Live Golf type uh, prize funds. But other than other than what I've just stated, it's hard to be excited for Cam Smith, I think, in my opinion, just because these things don't have any context. Like with, with the FedEx Cup, for example, even the FedEx Cup, like majors majors are obviously the ones we all care about but with the FedEx Cup at least you have the dynamic of you know Nick Hardy was gutted like in tears that he didn't make the top 50 to get to the BMW and you've got Hideki, Hideki Matsuyama who made it in climbed a few places um and then you had Justin Thomas who was rolling around on the floor when he when he nearly made a birdie to get into the top 70 so you've got you to be fair at this stage of the season you have got context and you have got excitement with the FedEx Cup when you wouldn't when you wouldn't nor- normally associate that excitement with it compared to the majors and that's why that that is what comes to mind when I watch someone like Cameron Smith win now it's what does that mean um and why is this not why is he not doing this on the PGA Tour well first of all I wasn't expecting um a Monday lunchtime rant from you there Chiv um (laughs) I wasn't quite expecting that it wasn't what we talked about before we started this um but yeah I mean I mean, you also sound, secondly, you sound like you've been in conversation with, with Monaghan and Amanda Staveley and Jimmy Dunn um, in terms of this framework agreement. Um, <laughs> involved in some of these meetings, it sounds like. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's obviously what the talk is to try and get, you know, the PGA Tour, Live, Live Golf and, and the DP World Tour to, to, to come back together again. Um, and, you know, as the, there's a lot of, talk at the moment in in sport and obviously in football as well you know with a lot of transfers to to Saudi Arabian teams um and so on and there's a lot of talk about that and but I think for golf it the problem with it with golf at the moment is and it's the same problem we've had for a couple of years now after this is that you cannot watch well you can watch all of the best players in the world at the same time for 16 days a year hmm or in some cases, eight days a year, you know, pre the cut at the four majors. Um, and then after that, as you say, each each field is, it's not, I mean, you would, you're not going to say it's weak because, you know, the PGA Tour, you've got the likes of Scheffler and Rahm and McElroy and Cantley and Spieth and, and so on. You know, the yeah. names go on and on. But when you take out the likes of DJ, Cam Smith, Patrick Reed, you know, it, it it does weaken the field somewhat. And I think that is, you know, obviously there's a lot of politics to go on around this framework agreement and so on to see where, you know, where it's actually going to end up being and what it's actually going to end up being. Mm. Um, but I think the quicker it is sorted, the, the better for both A, professional golf, B, amateur golf as well, because you'll get, you know, guys like me and you who, you know, were, and not bad on their day, 
but we'll go out and thinking, right, oh, well, I've just seen DJ do this, or I've just seen Cam Smith do this. You know, mm. maybe I, I'm going to go out and try and do that. And you'll get kids doing that as well. Um, <clears throat> and of course, you know, the DP World Tour and the and the PGA Tour usually, you know, every week are live on Sky Sports. You don't have that with Live Golf, you know. Um, so you've got to have two different, you know, places to watch at the moment. So that's you know, and that's just a mirror of how fragmented that the world of golf is. Um, so I think the quicker everything is done and the quicker we get back to having all of the best players in the world, you know, and I'm completely ignoring the rankings here because obviously live golf mm, don't get ranked. They only get rankings points, yeah, for Asian tour events and so on. Um yeah, the quicker really the the better, with without doubt. And, and it also includes Ryder Cup players as well. Yeah, and that reminds me because I was updating the How Far I've Live Golf Players Fallen article that we have running throughout the year, which you can see on the NCG website. Um, and Dustin Johnson is probably a week away from dropping outside the top 100 in the world. He's currently 95th in the world. And I know he's always used as a benchmark of, oh, why is Dustin ranked 90th? Um, despite not playing any ranking events basically virtually throughout the year. Um, but he's he's about to drop out of the top 100, which I noticed earlier. Um, but yeah, with I mean we're a bit like the players. Even even the media are a bit like the players with this with this framework agreement. Um, in terms of there's nothing much to say. It, it, it might it still might not yet happen because it seems like the Department of Justice in America are, are obviously thoroughly examining um, the viability of it, whether it's even allowed. Um, obviously, you had you had Jimmy Dunn and um, the other his, his other PJ Tour colleague sitting before Congress a few weeks ago, um, which provided a bit more detail to 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 the framework agreement. Um, this is also the week um, that Jay Monahan, well, last week Jay Monahan revealed that he was off work because of stress and anxiety um, as a result of the as a result of the pressure that was applied to him after agreeing the framework agreement. But yeah, it's just one of those things that we can't really. Well, we we can talk about it, like, but we we don't know what it's going to look like. Are, are we going to have a a Live Golf PJ Tour joint schedule along with Live Golf the PJ Tour and the DP World Tour? We just we just don't know um, on that front, do we? Really? No, I mean the tour was <clears throat> obviously the PJ Tour. I think have changed obviously their schedule for for twenty twenty four to sort of possibly fit in live golf mm. um because the thought was that live would you know if if the two were to coincide that live would take sort of the the autumn or, or fall season um and obviously the fall season is now going to be well at least this year for for those who didn't make the top 50 um in the in the Felix cup it's you know it's the fall season is their chance to it's a player's chance to make it, I think it's going to be the top twenty from that, or top twenty-five from the mm-hmm. fall season, that are then going to be in the you know the signature stroke designated stroke elevated events, whatever they're going to be called in twenty twenty-four, um, and obviously that's huge for for those players in that, and and there's players like Shane Lowry and JT and, and Adam Scott and so on who will be playing in that fall season, um, who you wouldn't have expected. At the yeah, start exactly. Of the year. Um, so yeah, and then obviously you think if you add the likes of you know. DJ Cam Smith, Patrick Reed, and and all the other big names that are at Live Golf, Bryson, I get as well, Brooks. Um, then, you know, how many other big names would not be in that top fifty in the FedEx Cup playoffs? And and obviously that then brings the excitement of the full season, um, you know, more to the fore. But yeah, so obviously I think Live Golf would fit into that sort of September to December yeah. slot. Um, obviously, we don't know how it would work, you know, or what the plans are. Um, but yeah, I think you know, like like we keep saying, the quicker it's sorted, the better. But this could rumble on for twelve, eighteen months or more. We don't know yet. Yeah, certainly, we're set for the the signature events on the PJ Tour in twenty twenty four, and then the DP World Tour. I think we'll soon announce their um, schedule as well. So, um, and Liv are obviously determined to be forging on as well. Um, so yeah, if we see any changes, it won't be next year. It will be the year after or the year after that, won't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we've covered that was that, that, that was a in depth episode, wasn't it? We, we we have covered a, a lot. There was a lot happening at the weekend. 
Um, and as I, as I always say, it's because of these dynamics, the FedEx Cup dynamic, and of course, it helps that there's a Ryder Cup, a Solheim Cup on the horizon as well. Yeah, oh yeah, without doubt. Um, talking of the Ryder Cup, I have my two teams written down. Okay, if you if want you to, to I, I haven't actually done this yet, but if you want to tell me, tell me your two teams, and then okay. maybe next week or the week after, I'll then give you mine. Oh, I so see. Go yeah. on, so I go on see, then. Yeah, all right, right. Okay, yeah, I see. I see. I see well, obviously, before they're selected, because that would be pointless, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, okay, and of course, for those listening in, you can obviously completely you know, banish me away from the podcast if you think any of these are wrong. But so, okay, so go on I'll start then. with, I'll start Let's with hear Team it. Europe. So, um, the obvious, so your top six are going to be Rory, John Rahm, Bob McIntyre, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, and Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, you know, look like they're going to be the six that, that qualify. If they are, then I'm picking Matt Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. Shane Lowry, Justin Rose, Sepp Straka, yeah, Victor Perez, and and I've got for thirteen here. I'm either picking Rasmus Hoygaard or Seamus Power. Okay, so. Power for that the discounts Irish connection with Shane Lowry. So that discounts Ludwig Aberg, um, and and Podrick Harrington, <laughs> Podrick Harrington, and also Adrian Moronk as well. Yeah, not taking Yannick Paul or Adrian Moronk in my team. Interesting. What yeah, about the US side of things? Oh, so I mean the US side. So uh, obviously Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, Brooks Kepka, uh, Xander Schauffele, Patrick Cantlay. Um, <clears throat> And then, as we mentioned, Max Homer, Jordan Spieth, and Cameron Young are probably the nine that are kind of definites, you would imagine. Um, obviously, six um, in, and then three of those will be selected by Zach Johnson. And then my mm. other three uh, would be Justin Thomas, um, because I think Ryder Cup JT is a completely different species. Yeah. Um, and you play him alongside Jordan Spieth, and it's a partnership no European pair wants to take on. Um, I'm taking Ricky Fowler. After the year he's had, mm-hmm. and I'm taking Bryson DeChambeau. Not Colin Morikawa. Nope. I'm taking Bryson after his Very incredible, incredible work at. But I think on form, I, I know that's rich considering what I've just said about mm-hmm. JT. Um, but on form, Bryson is up there as one of the best in the world right now, and I think you. I think again, would Europe want to take Bryson on? The answer is no. Would they want to take on Morikawa? They'd, they'd rather take on Morikawa than Bryson DeChambeau. Mm, interesting. That is a very interesting thought. Could be one to... um. That could be one to debate this week, actually, to be fair. Mm. Um, I can't Bryson DeChambeau instead of Colin Morikawa. <laughs> it's a good... It, it's, it, it's an interesting comparison. I will... I, will, I promise to... um. I promise to do 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 my teams. Um, I'm not quite ready yet. I, I don't know if I'm ready to commit yet. And you're away um, next another week, week as well. or two. That's why you're away next week as well. So it's oh yeah, oh, yeah I am yeah. So unbelievable. I'll have to send. Maybe Steve could do his. Maybe Steve could do his twelve. Yeah, actually, next week. and then you could do and your then twelve the week after. I'll offer up mine in case someone missed a cut, or someone misses a cut, or someone wins. Yeah, yeah the benefit yeah. of hindsight. I get the um, I get the sod law pick and have to do it first. <laughs> yeah, I see what it is. Um, but it's also uh, obviously we must mention that um, this podcast, the Slam podcast, is in association with Callaway. Um, and at the AIG Women's Open, um, Callaway was the number one driver brand, uh, number one fairway wood brand, and number one iron brand um, at Walton Heath. And also, Odyssey was the again the number one putter brand. So it is no surprise again. Um, to see Callaway so prominent at these events, they are, they are. I don't think this is taking taking it too too. Um, I don't think this is addressing too much. They are dominating, um, the world of golf in my opinion. Um, it would be nice to get. So I, I always used to say this to Alex, but it's not happened yet. It would be nice to get us some our hands on some of these clubs one day. Um, you never know. I don't want to tempt fate. Anything, anything to make me play better. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can, I, I, I can sympathise with that. I wasn't saying yeah, as in your crap. I was just yeah. sympathising with. I was sympathising with that. 
you you saw me on Friday night. It's fine. It's, <laughs> look, I think, what was it? I think it was thirteen over at the turn. So I mean, you know, that said it all. But well, I, I finished birdie birdie. So just going to keep mentioning that. I finished yeah, birdie did. birdie. Yeah, yeah. Um, if anyone didn't know, Matt finished birdie birdie. <laughs> I'll keep reminding. I'll keep. I'll keep that'll be until I, until. I, until I remind Steve next week on the pod. Yeah. Oh, Steve, I finished birdie birdie. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Pleasure as always.